But let's jump right into the word. Uh, I, I feel like uh, it's safe to say that in the past two years, the church of America has gone through a sifting. That the church, as we've seen, you guys remember that COVID-19 thing that we went through, right? The pandemic almost felt like the zombie apocalypse. We know what was going on, right? That, that season in the church really revealed the heart of the church and a lot of Christians. I know in that season, being a pastor was hard. I saw so many friends, so many people have discipled and poured into for years who walk away from the Lord. And in the past few years, I feel like we've seen so much of the sifting. We've seen uh, high caliber uh, leaders and pastors have large moral failures. We've, we've seen a whole generation deconstruct their faith and walk away from scripture and walk away from Jesus. We've seen churches closing down in the hundreds. And there comes a moment where we have to come to the realization and see that church as usual doesn't work anymore. Just going to church and saying you're a Christian because your parents are a Christian or just going to church and reading your Bible and doing your duty and checking off a list will not suffice anymore. That the church has gone through a sifting and it's revealing what is actually at the heart of who we are as a people of God. And I think that Christianity in America is starting to look no different than those in the world. And that's a problem. The Revelation 3, 15 to 16, Jesus says this. You guys ready? Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Welcome to church. Man, some intense words. I think a lot of us, we have just this, this one picture of Jesus as he's just kind of like this hippie walking, you know, barefoot with a, with a robe on and he's just holding peace signs. But the picture we see of Jesus in Revelation is he has a sword in his tongue. And I think we have to see what Jesus is saying here because it's very significant for our day. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I'd rather you be all in or all out. Because, listen, because if you are lukewarm, you've become stale, hardened, and numb to God. And who knows that when you're in that state, when you've just been conditioned with church and you've just been conditioned with scripture, almost everything starts to lose its substance and it becomes watered down if you actually miss the person in the middle of it. That Jesus is saying, I'd rather you be cold than be lukewarm. Because who knows when you're cold, who knows when you're broken, you can still receive. Jesus says that he's close to the brokenhearted. That even in your brokenness and your yieldedness, right, scripture says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That even in your coldness, God is saying, you can still receive and meet me. But when you're lukewarm, oh, it's so much harder. You know everything up here. But nothing is transforming you here. But I want to give some good news, okay? Jesus gave good news that I believe that there is also a generation that is rising up that is on fire for Jesus and that is choosing to not live for compromise. 
that there is a generation because of this sifting. It's revealed what it actually looks like to follow Jesus, what it actually doesn't look like to follow Jesus. And when we attach ourselves to the truth of what he's called us to, that we're going to see a generation where people aren't going to get hurt by religion anymore, but they're going to get set free by the Spirit. I heard this uh, preacher share this dream, this dream of this person that they, they shared. And in this dream, there was a field. On the left side of the field was Jesus, and there was like this multitude of people. And on the other side of the field was Satan. It was interesting, Satan didn't look like this, you know, red figure with a pitchfork and pointy ears. He looked very alluring. And in between the two, there was a fence. And this person in this dream, he, he wasn't all in for Jesus. He, he wasn't really sure about fully following Jesus, but he also knew the devil was bad. So he didn't know what side to pick. And so in this dream, what he did is he, he got on the fence. He's like, I, I'm not fully in for Jesus, but I know the devil's bad, so I'm just going to sit on the fence. And when he sat on the fence, uh, Jesus and the multitudes disappeared and the devil went up to him and said, you chose me. And he said, I didn't choose you. He said, I own the fence. That'll hit you tomorrow. <laughs> and I think this is so real. We, we did a sermon <laughs> over the summer on persecution. It's the kind of church we are. We talked about Persecution. And Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted. Yeah. What? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Blessed are those who are rejected and harmed for the sake of righteousness, for living towards what is right and true and holy. And there comes a day where we have to realize following Jesus will cost you something. And if you're living in a moment where following Jesus doesn't cost you much, it will eventually because the more you follow Jesus, the more he's going to call you to give up. The, the deeper you follow his voice, the more he's going to call you to sacrifice. That we have to understand there is a cost to this thing. Jesus speaks on this in John 17, verse 13 to 19, if you guys want to go there. Jesus says this, he's, he's, this, this the, the context is he is praying to the Father, okay, for us, for his disciples. And he says this as his prayer, he says, but now I am coming to you, right, talking to the Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have, that us, may have his joy fulfilled. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Let's pause there. This is Jesus. <laughs> he says, I've given them your word. I've revealed my will and my truth. And because of that, because it's so against the culture of the day, the world will actually hate them. I don't know what Christianity you sign up for, but this is it. Because he says, just as I am not of the world, how often do we want to just please everyone, right? Church is very easy. Let's just not step on toes so that we don't lose our attendance. But Jesus says, no, my word will offend people. 
that not everyone is going to like you. Not everyone like Jesus. All right, let's keep going. Verse 15, I love this. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Okay, so Jesus is saying, I don't ask that you just seclude them and take them away and put them in a little Christian bubble and they don't touch anything that is secular. He's saying, no, I I don't want you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, he says this again, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is good. Jesus saying, just the same way you've sent me to love and heal and reconcile a lost and dying world, I'm doing the same for my disciples. And so we're not here to, to, the world is bad and we need to be afraid of the world, but no, we're actually here to invade the world. And I don't know if you see this, but Jesus is saying every single one of you, if you profess Jesus, you have a purpose. Every single one of you in this room, you have a purpose. Just as he was sent into the world, so he is sending you. And this is where we're going to land in verse 19. He says this, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified or set apart in truth. And so today we're going to talk about the call to consecration. And I prayed for, for this, this, this Sunday. I was like, God, this is our first Sunday. We have a lot of new people. Like, let's give something like, you know, easy to digest and like fun and exciting. <laughs> let's talk about maybe the joy of the Lord. The Lord's like, no, here you go. <laughs> talk about consecration. All right, so the Hebrew word for consecrated is kadash, which can also be translated as separated, set apart, or sanctified specifically from things that are unclean. And I think it's so interesting here in verse 19. Do you guys ever wonder why Jesus came as a human? Like, why didn't Jesus just come as a a full deity and just you know come in the clouds and boom fix everything but he came as a baby and he lived 33 years it's like what like what is going on here this doesn't make sense and and there's a lot of theological layers to this but i think one of the the main reasons jesus came as as fully god and fully human it wasn't just to show us listen to this it wasn't just to show us what he can do but it was to show you what you can become He's God. There's no surprise he can do miracles. But when he lives fully God and fully human, he's showing you. He says this in verse 19 again, that I consecrated myself for your sake. I didn't live in compromise. I I, I set myself apart to do only what I saw the Father doing. Why? So that you will see and be sanctified in this truth. That Jesus modeled what it actually looks like to be fully human. We have this idea that Jesus' life was unattainable. But Jesus' life now lives in you through his spirit. And his spirit is now empowering you to walk and to live and become like him. I don't know if you guys knew this. Spoiler alert. The whole goal of the Christian life is to become like Jesus. This is what you signed up for. This is it. 
If you have said yes to Jesus, the goal of your life is to be conformed into his image. Paul uses this language. He says that I have labor pains. I I have birth pains to the point that I want to see you so desperately birth, rebirth into the image of Christ. That I want to see you be conformed so desperately into his image. That this is the goal. This is what we're stepping into when we say yes to Jesus. It isn't so that he can just be our side piece. (laughs) It's so that we can walk and become like him. You know, the word Christians literally mean little Christ. That you would be representations, walking, living, vehicles of revival. Everywhere you go, you are a representation of Christ on the earth. That's the church. Oswald Chambers, he says this quote, he says, consecration is our part, sanctification is God's part. And I love that. That this is our response. And we're gonna get into this, but this can get legalistic very easily. (laughs) But we have to see that there is a part, who knows that a relationship is a two-way street. That Following Jesus beckons a response and says, God, I'm going to fully yield myself. I'm going to set myself apart from the world and I'm going to yield and live my life for you. And in that process, he will sanctify you and make you like him. A lot of us are trying to do the latter before the first. I need to get sanctified. I need to get cleaned up. And then I can follow Jesus. But Jesus is saying, hey, here's the step. Consecrate yourself. Set yourself apart. John 4, 23, Jesus says this, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Can I give you guys a a little nugget real quick? Okay, that's fine. I'll give it anyways. (laughs) Jesus says here that there is coming a time when there are true worshipers. Who knows if there are true worshipers that there's fake worshipers? Let me say that again. If there are true worshipers, then there are fake worshipers. And what's so important to point out, Jesus says the Father isn't looking for worship. Just, he isn't just looking for worship, but he wants worshipers. I don't just want a song on a Sunday. I want your life to be the song. I want your life lived out to be the sacrifice, to be the offering. And so in essence, what Jesus is saying there, saying here is that he wants those uh, that don't just worship with their lips, but with their lives. That worship very quickly will reveal what's on the inside. When you get into a worship environment, maybe it's different than than what you're used to. It will very quickly reveal what's on the inside. And the Lord convicted me of this because, you know, I I grew up Presbyterian, the full opposite extreme of where we're at now, counter God's spirit. You know, obviously we're spirit-filled church. And I remember in in just my journey of of growing with the Lord and, and, you know, being in environments like this all the time and seeing people yell and dance and and joy and and everyone's just pressing in. And then I would go in these environments where it was just like very dry and it just feels like a routine and, and it's not authentic. And I remember being in those environments 
And the Lord convicted me. Because who knows in those moments, you get to decide, am I going to be able to actually lead myself into worship? Even if the people around me aren't pressing in, even if the music doesn't fit my preference, can I lead myself into worship? That who knows what happens on a Sunday should be an overflow of what's been happening during the week. That when you come in here, you're not coming here to to hopefully get some kind of fire, which the Lord is good and does that, but we're coming in here, okay, already full, ready to spill out because we've lived and we've consecrated ourselves as worshipers. That Matthew 15, 8 to 9, he says this, these, these people honor me with their lips, this is talking about the Pharisees, but their hearts are far from me. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Verse 9, this is, this is crazy, he says this, they worship me in vain. Their worship is useless. Their teachings are merely human rules. <laughs> their worship is in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And I think a lot of us fall into this trap where we fall into the routine where worship just becomes a duty. Worship just becomes a thing that we have to check off our list to be a good Christian. Or when we're in the environment, you know, we're going to make sure people don't think we're not having a thriving relationship with the Lord. So we have to worship. I think a lot of us fall into that trap where our lips are professing, but our hearts aren't. And I think we don't do this intentionally. I don't think we're doing this because we hate God or we don't like God or we think God is bad. I think the reason we fall into this trap is because we've made our faith merely human rules. We've made our response to God a list of things that we have to do. When Jesus is saying, it's not your lips, it's your heart, because out of the heart... You guys remember scripture? The overflow of your mouth speaks. What, what comes out of your mouth is a response to what has happened in your heart. I think a lot of us, we fall into this trap because we've created a man-made image of God that isn't even worth worshiping. <laughs> we've made God an accessory to make our lives easier. We've made God like this pet that just... You know, I need comfort, so I just need God to be close to me. We've minimized God in this way. So I want to ask you guys this question. Are you just fitting God into your life, or are you fitting your life into God? Am I just saying, God, here, come fit in my my 9 a.m. slot? God, here, just just come fit in when I'm struggling with my relationship. Then I'm going to pray and then I'm going to worship. God, I'm just going to fit you in when it's convenient instead because that gets very tiring. You'll get burnt out. I remember a season of my life, I was growing with the Lord, and every day I would spend time with the Lord, and I would write, just, just, just study scripture and be writing. I call them sermons to myself. I did this every day. I remember there was moments where I would miss a day, and I would get so, I would feel condemned. So what I'll do the next day, I'll do two days worth. <laughs> two days worth of devotions, right? To make up for what I missed. And though the intention may not be bad, it's far from God. Because I've made my relation to him based on what I do. <laughs> but your relationship with God is based on what he's done. And from that place, you can respond and say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you are worthy. A lot of us have made this man-made gym of God that's not even worth worshiping. Why would you want to worship someone that you think hates you and is constantly condemning you? This is why we need to be sanctified by the truth. 
So consecration is the act of devoting or setting apart something to the worship or service of God. I give this example. Who here has a toothbrush? All right, only 50%. It's very concerning. But I give this example. Your toothbrush is set apart for one purpose, right? To brush your teeth. And hopefully you don't use that same toothbrush to scrub your toilet. But this is what a lot of us do. Our lives are supposed to be set apart for one purpose, but we're, we have an undivided heart. And we say, well, I'm set apart for God, but, you know, I can pursue my pleasures. I can scrub the toilet, and then, you know, I'm going to scrub my teeth. And you're like, man, it, doesn't, it feels fishy, right? It doesn't taste good. And you wonder why. That consecration throughout the Old Testament, we see God intended for his whole nation to be set apart, to be his chosen people, that the nations around them would see how set apart from the world Israel was, that they would long and hunger to know the God that they worship. This is the same call that we have, that the world looks at you. And we have to remove this thing where we, we need people to please us. We got we to gotta break that thing off. Because you're either trying to be pleased by people or you're either trying to please God. There's nowhere in between. In between, it's the fence, right? But the, the call of the church is the same call given to Israel, that you are supposed to be set apart, that when the, the world looks at you, they see a city on the hill. They see light in the midst of darkness. They see hope in the midst of mourning. They see freedom and restoration, where it seems like there's no chance. This is what it means to be set apart. Consecration carries the connotation of separating holiness and purity. And I think it's important to understand this. We have to have this as a foundation. To be set apart is not a reaction to what is happening around us, but it's a response to our purpose. That if our, if our motivation to be set apart is, you know, I, I just don't want to, like, touch bad things. I don't want to sin, and I want to I, I make sure, you know, I'm doing a, being a good boy, right, and a good girl. So I'm just going to set myself apart from bad things. That's not a strong enough motivation. <laughs> the motivation has to be, Jesus, I'm going to step into what you've actually called and created me to be. And who knows when you step into your calling, you step into what is the most fulfilling season of your life. All right. See if you can finish this thing. There's three things that you are consecrated for. Okay, let's plow through this. Three things that you are consecrated for. The first thing is you are consecrated to worship. Say worship. worship. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, remember that word, true and proper worship. To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice means to give your whole selves to God. God, I'm giving you my whole self. In the Old Testament, a sacrifice was something that was set apart for God by being put on the altar. When people offered that thing to God, it no longer belonged to the one offering it. It belonged to God for his use and his purpose. That when we say, God, I'm going to be a living sacrifice, <laughs> you give up. Your chance to be right. You give up your, your chance to define what is true. That we 
say when we're consecrated, we're saying, God, you are now the source. You are what defines what is true, even if it offends me, even if I don't like it. There's a lot of things that I wish were okay. (laughs) But God knows, okay, what is the best for humanity, and we have to come aligned to that. But we are a living sacrifice. I love that this language is used. It doesn't just say you're a sacrifice. I could have just said that. Everyone would have understood. But it says you are a living sacrifice. What that means is that you're not a dead sacrifice. That means how you live is now the offering. How you live is now your worship. And I think it's time that we take on a biblical view of worship. Because we've minimized, we've boxed in worship, we made it, man, it's a thing that we do on Sunday mornings when we sing three songs, it's 10 minutes each, we raise our hands and we sing lyrics on a screen like karaoke and that's it. And that is an extension. And that is a part of worship. And, and we see biblically singing is a part of worship. But we have to get the core heartbeat of what worship actually is. That it was never about music and lyrics and instruments, but it was about an undivided heart that is turned to God. That when you come on Sunday, you should have already been worshiping all week. And so when you come in the room, you're saying, God, I'm here with my family to give you an even greater offering than I could have given by myself. That we shouldn't, I want you to listen to this, we shouldn't leave worship services analyzing whether it was good or not or met our preferences. That is unbiblical. We should leave worship analyzing ourselves if we gave God a worthy sacrifice or not. And trust me, you may not like everything we do. (laughs) We may be too swirly for some of you. But at the end of the day, we're going after Jesus. And you don't have to become like every, every other person in the room. But your heart has to be yielded. And no matter the environment, if it's dry, if it's wet, if it's very, very unexpressive or it's too expressive, either way, your heart should go in and should leave and say, did I give a worthy offering to Jesus? So consecration is when we have deliberately determined to be interested in that which only God is interested. The second thing is you're consecrated for a purpose. So you're consecrated for worship and you're consecrated for a purpose. First Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. But Peter is directly quoting Exodus 19, where God made a covenant with his people. And he told his people that if you set yourself apart to me, I will make you a holy nation, a a royal priesthood. And who knows, just like marriage, when you are in a covenant, you are set apart from everyone else to that one person you've made a covenant with. That I'm set apart from every other lover except my wife. (laughs) That's what it means to consecrate yourself. This is what Jesus is inviting us into. Hey, I know that thing is easy. I know that thing is comfortable, but I have to be the source. I have to be the main thing because if I'm not the main thing, you're still standing on the fence. That right from the 
in Galatians 1, Paul mentions that right from the womb, he was set apart that he might preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That every single person in this room has a God-sized calling and destiny on your life. Every single person. And I really do believe the key to figuring that out is to consecrate your life to the Lord. Because here's the thing, I want you to track with me. And this is going, going for a while. You guys okay? Yeah. Swin up here. It's when you know you're preaching, right? I think a lot of us, we, we, we have this desire, God, I want to know my calling. I want to know your will. I want to know your will for this next season. And that's not a bad thing. And, and it, it, we kind of struggle with that, right? We're like, man, I wish God would just like tell me who to marry, you know, so I save some, save some time. I wish God would just reveal to me what to do. Has anyone done that? Yeah, I know. You don't even have to raise your hands. But here's the thing, why God doesn't just spoon feed you your calling is because we make our calling an idol. And God's not gonna give you something that, to worship that isn't him. And so when we consecrate ourselves, we're saying, God, our lives are undivided. You are our sole pursuit. And who knows, when you seek the king and the kingdom, what does scripture say? Everything else will be added. And I've seen this testimony in my own life. There's so many moments, I'm like, God, what am I supposed to do for work? God, how am I going to provide for my family? God, what am I supposed to do in this season for a breakthrough? What, what am I supposed to do in this, this season for my family and my kids and, and, and my wife? What am I supposed to do? And in so many moments, God is good and he speaks and he gives direction. But at the end of the day, the calling cannot be our main pursuit. It has to be Jesus. Yes. And so the third thing that we are consecrated for is relationship. Leviticus 20, 26 says this, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I've set you apart from the nations to be my own. That I've set you apart, I've, I've, I've consecrated you, I've chosen you to be apart from everyone else so that you can be a part of me, so that you can be my own. That there are several reasons God might set you apart, but the main reason is just so that, that you may be fully his. Just like in marriage, Right? Like I mentioned, you are set apart from everyone else. We, we hear that language, right? He's a jealous God. And you used to always be like, man, that doesn't make sense. Like, that's not a good thing. When you actually understand what that means and why that language is used, is that God is so, listen, God is so radically in love with you that he doesn't want anyone else to have you. <sighs> Only 10 people got that. The eternal creator of the universe that is fully satisfied in himself, that has thousands, legions of angels worshiping him and affirming him and saying how amazing he is, that this eternal being that created the most beautiful mountain scene that you see in the world looks at you and says, you are worth dying for, that I will give you all of me if you just simply say yes. And when you receive all of me, then everything will be added. This is who we're consecrating ourselves to. And, and, and this has to be understood, that intimacy with Jesus has to be our primary motivation. Otherwise, this easily will turn into legalism. That our primary, primary motivation is, Jesus, I just want more of you. I want to be with you. This is my motivation. So we're consecrated 
to worship for a purpose and for a relationship. Watchman Nee he says this quote. Love this quote. He says, a forgiven sinner is quite different from an ordinary sinner. And a consecrated Christian is quite different from an ordinary Christian. <laughs> that a consecrated Christian is different from an ordinary Christian. And so guys, consecration, we're closing. Consecration is going to require sacrifice. At some point, we have to come into the realization that there's cost and always will be a cost to following Jesus. There are things you're going to have to say no to. I'm sorry. I'm here to tell you today. There's things you're going to have to say no to to fully follow Jesus. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. <laughs> it may not be sinful for you to do, but is it profitable? Is it beneficial? Is it edifying? Is it going to strengthen your intimacy with Jesus or is it going to hinder it? And this is where Christian maturity comes into. Who's in college? Okay, our whole church. <laughs> the, I, I, I know this. As a, when I was a college student, right, there's this thing where you're like, man, how, how far is sin sin? Like, how, how, how intimate can I be with my girlfriend before it's sin? I know you've asked that question. But this is the wrong question. This is not the right question. The right question is, God, is this going to be profitable for our intimacy? Is this going to be beneficial for our relationship? Because if it's not, I don't want it. That's what it means to be consecrated. So if you consecrate yourself, you're naturally going to go against the tide. It won't be a comfortable journey. The enemy will try to wage war against you. If you're going to be more than a conqueror, we're going to have to fight some battles, guys. And I want to encourage you with this as I close. If you're being fought viciously, if you feel like you're just in a war, you feel like, man, you're just hanging by a thread to love Jesus and follow Jesus, and you just feel like, man, you're just always fighting and warring, I want you to know that just means you have a high calling on your life. The thief doesn't steal empty graves. He goes where there's treasure. If you feel like giving up, that's just proof that you're set apart. If you see no point to, to live anymore, that's exactly how Jeremiah and the other prophets and saints before you felt. And so take heart, for he has overcome what is overcoming you. So it all ends here. I want you guys to get this. Worshiping you guys can come up. Know that through it all, more of Jesus is the reward. Like, man, that doesn't sound so great. Like, I can't, like, do certain things that, like, you know, make my flesh feel good. But through it all, attaining more of Jesus is the reward. Let's all stand up. Joshua 3.5 says this. Joshua 3.5 says this. I you guys to listen. Joshua told the people, this is right before Joshua entered into the promised land. For generations, they've been trying to, to escape Egypt and live and go where God has called them to go. And they're finally about to enter where God has called them. And, and Joshua says this. You ready? Say, I'm ready. I'm ready. He says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Before you enter into the promise, you have to consecrate yourself. 
so God knows and so that you can sustain and receive the full blessing that he has for you.